2: Hello, I am Cheryl Jones, your host, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Linda Sheldon Fell. Linda is an inspirational visionary creator, producer, post-tragedy community facilitator, and an international best-selling author who found herself beginning the long journey through profound grief when her 15-year-old daughter died in a car accident in 2009. Two years later, Linda's world took another unexpected turn when her 46-year-old husband suffered a major stroke, leaving him with permanent disabilities and, excuse me, leaving her with a new layer of grief. Through the darkness, Linda found comfort by helping others who were struggling, and this fueled her passion to create a legacy of help, healing, and hope. Linda now enjoys creating projects that bring light to the world on both small and large scales. She founded Alley Blue Media in memory of her beloved daughter to house her growing endeavors that now take her across the country. Welcome, Linda. Oh, thank you so much, Cheryl. It's an honor to be here. Oh, I'm very happy to have you with me. Um, You know, you had two pretty staggering losses, and I wonder if you could create a picture of your life before that. Um, I know you had several kids living your life, um, doing whatever you were doing at that time. What was life like before that, the, the grief came in?
3: You know, it truly was idyllic. I, I was born and raised into a large family, and I, it's, I'm surrounded by all my lovely family members. And I wanted to have that for my family, so I had four children, two boys and two girls, and I'm married to just the best husband ever. And, <laughs> you know, just a really great life. Uh, when our 15-year-old daughter, our third child, uh, she was a competitive athlete and spent four hours swimming in year-round, uh, two hours before school, two hours after school, and she was a 4.0 student. Uh, our two older kids had graduated and were in college, and our youngest was 13. And, you know, I I was very involved in the children's lives, uh, serving on boards and, in, you know, active in the community. Just really, I, I was very... Um, happy and very you know just doing all things that uh, being a mom entails and, and a wife and uh, a community member and such and so you know it was really wonderful and then of course tragedy struck and uh, there you know there's nothing that prepares you for a tragedy of of losing someone you know you love and um you know, I would, I, I hate to compare griefs because grief comes in many, many forms, and my own griefs are unique to me, and so. You know, I I reference losing a child, but um, there's many other griefs as well, and so I know I'm not alone in this. This, you know, the profound darkness, and uh, but boy, it it just um, to say it, it you know, knocks the wind out of you would be a gross understatement. Gross understatement, and and I do think maybe this
2: is just because the particular um, loss of a child experience. Is one of the griefs I haven't experienced, uh, so maybe that that um, um, kind of affects my sense of it. But um, I can't imagine it. You know, there's there's a way it's unimaginable, which probably is in a way a good thing.
3: <laughs> well, well you, know? you know, there's there truly are no words in the in any language around the world that can frame. The loss. There's just there's so so. What happens with that is it becomes very challenging to teach at the academic level because there really are no words to describe it. And so you know when you have parents who've lost a child of any age, it's kind of this own language of of that's unspoken. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the the flip side of that is you don't want people to know you. Not only can you not describe it, you don't want them to know it. In my I remember. I remember thinking early on, I remember thinking that it was truly hell on earth. It truly, that's what it felt like yes. to me at that time. And since it's been six years, and of course, I've learned a tremendous amount, uh, uh, many valuable lessons. There's blessings in everything, and including tragedy. Uh, you may not see it for a very long time, but they're there. Uh, but early on, that's how I felt that it was hell. It was truly hell on earth, and uh, there was just no way to describe it.
2: And and I think uh, for me, anyway, I've I have three kids, I have two grandchildren, I'm married. Um, I it would seem out of sorts to me if if it wasn't like that in the sense that we love that much. Right. <laughs> you but, know,
3: and you uh, love all your children differently. You've got, you know, each, each, you know, child is unique in their own spiritual development, their own emotional development, their own personality. And so you love all your children with all your heart. Um, and this is one of the things when people would say, because, you know, truth be told, people do not know what to say to you. So they say things they, they think will bring comfort. But oftentimes a, a bereaved parent, Well, hear. well, at least you have other children. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, they mean well and you have to understand and, and you have to be gracious because they mean well and they don't know what to say. And so you take it with the comfort that it was intended. However... Uh, you know, children are, anyone you love is not, and you know this, you know, you can't replace one with an, with another. And the, the way, um, you know, that, that's a conversation topic that can be a sore point with bereaved people everywhere of, you know, you can't just go off and marry someone else and replace that person. You can't just um, go hire another mother if you've lost your mother, you know, that kind of thing.
2: Yes. Well, yeah. and, and of course, I've I've talked a lot with people on my show in particular about that actually it's very important to keep that relationship. And if yes. you if you imagine that you're actually going to replace the person, it, it's kind of a more loss than you need to have in a way. Uh, you know, even just talking to you right now, I, I get a sense of
3: um, – of Allie as uh,
2: an alive part of your life.
3: Oh, very much so. Uh, she she is a direct result of why I do what I do, and you know, no one ever says, as a child, I want to grow up to 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 you know become a grieving mother and do something with all that pain and sorrow and make something beautiful of it. No one ever says that. However, you know, we have choices in life, and of course, in the very beginning, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the accident. Um, I didn't want to live. Mm -hmm. And I think it's safe for every bereaved person to have those thoughts. Now, you know, there's different layers of that. Uh, Do you act upon it? No, of course not. Um, But the pain is so great and there's no medication in the world. There's no surgery in the world. There's no fix in the world to ease that pain. And so you you are certain you're going to die of a broken heart and you just want the pain to stop or even ease up. And and in the beginning, you have a hard time fathoming that the pain does ease up. And that's one of my missions is to reach out to those and be there with them in that sacred space, that darkness, and hold that light for them to know that joy is possible again. And what happens you know, you never ever uh, quit loving your child. You never quit missing them with every breath you take. And, 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 you know, anyone, your, 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 you know, spouse, your parent, your sibling, no matter the loved one that you lost, you never ever quit wishing they were here part of your life. But, you know, it's a, um, what, what do you do with that pain? You know, you, you, your heart, th- this is something that I, I now share with people very readily so that they have an idea is your heart has a capability to hold joy at the same time that it holds that profound sorrow. And that's really, really important to give yourself permission to laugh, to love again, to experience moments of joy, because it doesn't erase the pain, but it balances it out. If you look at your heart as almost a scale, uh, you know, it's um, it can hold joy at the same time as it holds sorrow. It's big enough to do that. Who knew, right? Yes. It- you know and that's one of the things that as a bereaved parent that i can do for others is to to hold that light of hope uh, that there will be joy once again in their life because early on you don't believe it you do not believe that you will ever smile unintentionally again you know you 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 have a hard time grasping that life can possibly go on and and so that's the work that i do is to Let them know that uh, you know just by example, if nothing else. Oh, you know that's right. You know we lead by example, and um, you know, but it's true. It's everything that I believe in. I I believe in with all my heart. And if I can find joy again in life, it's there to be had for everybody. I'm no one special. I'm no more special than so and so next door kind of thing. It's it's if if it's to be had for me, it's to be had for everybody.
2: One thing that just stood out that you said uh, a minute or so ago uh you said you want to be with people in the sacred darkness. Uh that really stood out because I do think um th- I I think we need that we need permission for that place that hurts. Yes. Otherwise it's very very hard to come back into joy if if we somehow are denied the right to that part of it. And it sounds to me as if you gave yourself that, but you are sort of a a person naturally inclined to find the good.
3: Would that be true of you before all this happened? (laughs) Uh, Probably so. You know, the bereaved, we have our own calendar of before and after. (laughs) Indeed. And it's really hard to remember the before sometimes. Um, You know, it's, so to think of what I was before, I, I feel like I'm a whole different person now the, those scars run so deep, but also the, the silver linings shine very bright. And so it's kind of an honorable position to be in, um, having gone through such a loss and then to be able to hold that light for other people. But you know, Cheryl, it is sacred to have a profound loss is one of those journeys in life that is really, Uh, it's sacred. There's just no other words about it. And and I'm going to take this a little further. One of the projects that uh, I'm working on right now is a whole series of books that is anthology style. And an anthology is, is a collection of voices. And so, we are doing 12 books right now all at the same time. And each one focuses on a different loss. And We've got over 70 participants in four countries around the world who are part of this project. So, it's super, super cool to me. And every time one of their entries comes in, because it's a guided project. they, mm-hmm. uh, You know, there's, there's a structure to it and such. Every time one of the entries comes in, uh, you know, I feel so honored to be able to read their stories and of course I don't uh, it goes off to editing but I'm the first point that it comes to Mm. and every time every story no matter whether it's someone who lost a best friend or a spouse or a sibling or an aunt uncle neighbor you know child parent whoever it feels sacred because it is a profound moment for that individual and to have them share their story in this this book series to me is such a incredible. It's it's just it's profound on many levels. And so yeah, I do I do regard it as sacred. You know the the um, losing someone and then the aftermath, the journey that many people call it a journey. Um, you know the aftermath. It is a profound time in one's life.
2: Absolutely, and and. um you know, you were talking about you can hold both. Um, to to me, the people that I know, you, people I talk with every week on this show, for instance, there's a way, and maybe I just uh, think this because it's true of me, there's a way I'm capable of being more joyful than I used to be capable of being because I was a very guarded kind of person. And there was something about facing the worst that actually removed some of that for me
3: personally. I, I think you're right on that. I think what it is is that we have a di- deeper appreciation. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we've seen the other side, and so the joyful moments, the moments where the light does shine, uh, we have such a, a heart full of gratitude for it because the opposite is to be in the, the dark abyss, is what I call it. And, you know, as the bereaved, we will always have those moments because we'll always have triggers in life. We'll always, um, you know... For me, it's swimming pools because mm-hmm. my daughter's a competitive swimmer. Sure. Uh, but for you, it might be the sound of sirens or this, that, or the other. And, of course, we also have the, the dates. They, we have our, our loved one's birthday, their um, the anniversary of their passing, uh, you know, the holidays that they particularly enjoyed. Um, you know, those are our days that are challenging for us where the sun might not shine so bright and we need to hibernate, you know, to just kind of hold up and, and lick our wounds for the day. Or the week, you know, however long it takes, and so when the does the sun does come out, oh my gosh, you know, such an appreciation for how beautiful it shines is truly that heart full of gratitude that the sun came out after all, you know, because again, in the early part of the journey, you don't believe it will ever come out again. So when it does, you're you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yes,
2: you know, I I I feel as if there is something particular about uh, losing someone suddenly, like you did. Um, that, uh, my loss was, you know, a very long illness where we were doing a lot of, I, I feel as if that descent into hell was when she was still alive in a sense. Right. Um, because, uh, I had to face up to, to death. Um, people say you can't prepare, but I actually don't, I, I don't think you can be prepared, but I think you can prepare there there is a certain difference there when you're just sort of dropped over the cliff um yeah. in that way that um i you know i recognize in how you're describing it and how i've heard those sudden losses described by other people
3: you know though i i don't i think again um you know because i have a few friends that lost children to uh illnesses cancers and such mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know which one, you know, everyone thinks their own is the most horrific because that's the reference that we have to to go on. Uh, but I think to watch your child slowly fade away before your eyes and not be able to stop it has to be horrifying and yes. same for your spouse yes same for you know we did a um an online uh, support group for bereaved women last night it was our first first one and it was really cool we had people from all around the nation can we hold that and talk yeah. about it when we come back for our, our break i want to hear a lot about that of <laughs>
2: Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera. And to find Linda Sheldon Fell, go to l-y-n-d-a-f-e-l-l.com. Be back soon. <laughs>
0: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
1: Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones.
2: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Linda Sheldon Fell. The death of her 15-year-old daughter and the stroke of her 46-year-old husband within just a few years catapulted her into a profound grief, which ultimately led to a deep commitment to help others through their losses. And speaking of that, before the break, we were just beginning to talk about um, what you were doing last night. You were doing a conference or... Uh, Can you give us more
3: details? Oh, of course. It it was actually an online support group for bereaved women. Oh, support group. And uh-huh. yeah, and and you know why it came about is uh, webinars are kind of a hot thing right now, and I'm testing the waters with doing webinars uh, to see, uh, you know what what can we what can we do with this, and uh, the idea came for an online support group for bereaved people, and we're starting with women because. You know, when you are in the throes of grief, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, you know, it, most of us women, we think that when we need when we need to go somewhere, we've got to get on, you know, proper clothes and our hair and our makeup and such. And, and that's just too exhausting. So I thought, you know what, when you do an online support group, uh, you know, people don't have to go anywhere, we'll, we'll go to you. All you need is a computer or a device mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, grab yourself a cup of tea. or or coffee or your favorite beverage and a blanket in your cozy chair and, you know, join us. And so last night was the very first night. And you know what? It was very beautiful and intimate. And it just was really lovely. And we're, we're going to start one for men as well, but men are going to have their own because they're wired different. And uh, the leader uh, for the women's group is Dina Martin Owens, a lovely lady uh, over in Georgia that uh, lost both of her children in a car accident five years ago, and she has since started a nonprofit that serves the bereaved and thousands around the nation, and then the, the um, leader for the Men's Group is this really cool guy who authored a book, Uh, Sometimes I Cry in the Shower. And it's a great book. And, you know, men don't readily talk about their grief and i know my husband did not and i feel very strongly that it kind of lent itself to the perfect storm resulting in a life altering stroke uh, and so starting a men's group is really near and dear to my heart because men have this um you know this this perception that they w- would be seen as weak if they went to a support group and so by having an online support group for men it kind of creates that privacy mm-hmm. but it also gives them- them, a, a, you know, a, a tool to put in their toolbox, join us. Um, and so how I will produce it as the woman, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> Yeah, because I don't think they'll be quite as forthcoming if they know I'm in there, but I'm the producer. So we'll, we'll have to figure that one out.
2: <laughs> Maybe you'll get dispensation somehow. I don't
3: know. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll,
2: but, <laughs> I, you know, that's an interesting um, thought. Uh, yeah. I. Let's just say, I think we'd probably agree, um, the conversation on grief in our culture has a long ways to go.
3: Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, but, but perhaps the difference is maybe if you have a big loss as a woman, you can find another woman to privately talk with at an emotional level about it, and I'm not sure that all men have that same
3: um, outlet. Right, right. I know my husband, uh, after we lost our daughter, and prior to his stroke, uh, he had a subcontractor who was losing his teenage daughter to cancer, and he would come in and fall into my husband's arms. Uh, almost every day just crying and uh, you know I I really I honor that because men don't readily do that but this poor man was falling apart Mm -hmm. and found comfort in. and my husband gets the best hugs hands down just saying (laughs) and and hugs are all over your website now I know why (laughs) absolutely you know hugs are priceless people often say what do I do what do I say for the bereaved well there are no words and so I often my motto is is to listen, hug, repeat. And you know, for, for good reason, just listen and hug. And and you know, hugs are priceless. They don't, they aren't look there's no words to fix the grief. So, you know, just just a hug. A hug is all they need. And a hug is kind of again, it goes back to that physical gesture of holding that sacred space. And that's really what a hug does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm big on hugs.
2: <laughs> you know, what What I'm aware of at this moment, though, too, is that uh, you and your husband lost your daughter uh, and you were busy supporting your other children, I'm sure, with the loss of their sister. And then not really very long, I mean, I, th- I consider the first couple of years of grief, you're kind of a baby griever in a way. <laughs> and in the middle of that, to kind of lose your husband as a resource and, and instead need to be taken care of him must have been quite um, quite profoundly something, you know, a lot of things probably, but… Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, it actually, it was not quite, I say it was two years. It was actually about two and a half years. And uh, he, we had just gotten home from town and he was outside and he came around the corner and I was uh, sitting at, uh, in the office with a window and he had a funny look on his face and I w- opened the front door and I said, are you okay? And he said, no. And he was drooling. And, and I used to be a firefighter EMT. And I immediately knew he was suffering a stroke. And I sat him down and I called 911. 911. And you know, gave him all the details, and um, and it, it was just horrible because I didn't know if he was going to live. It was a it was a major stroke. It robbed him of his speech, his reading, his writing, his arithmetic, uh, and he was paralyzed on his entire right side. And you know, he was in the ICU. I didn't know if he would live. Mm. It was really awful, and yes. I felt like I, you know, I was suddenly losing my rock. And I still, I I was still in the fog of profound grief from Allie. Um, And I I agree with you. The first, really, the first three, four years are kind of the baby years. And, you know, you referenced I was helping my other children. And for me, that's kind of a, um, you know, I have a fair bit of guilt because I was in such a fog after Allie for at least two and a half years. I don't remember much.
2: Yeah. So. I but don't. I, but just given the little bit that I know about you, I have a feeling that was happening,
3: but what you're aware of is the cloud. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. The fog is what I, I... The fog. Same, say, same yeah. idea, huh? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So when the stroke happened, oh my gosh, you know, for the first few weeks, again, all that adrenaline of... Uh, just trying to, you know, spend the days at the hospital, come home to sleep, keep our 13-year-old going. And, um, you know, it was just really, really challenging. And, you know, it's been three years now since his stroke, and he he will never be able to work again. And so that, of course, uh, you know, presents dynamics. Uh, He was the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. and uh, you know so all kinds of things came up and and yeah I grieved very very hard for the husband that I knew and now that we're we're you know after it's been three years now and I am so grateful that I still have him by my side and even though he is challenged on many levels, um, you know, I still have him. And I say often that as long as his arms are around me, all is right with my world.
1: Mm. And
3: it, it, it But yes, grief came in another layer entirely. And it was a tough, tough grief. And it still hits me. Um, just like Ali's grief, I have moments where it, it kicks you in the gut, takes your breath away. Yes. And, you know, I, I just... Um, stay present and take a big deep breath, treat myself with lots of TLC until I find my footing again. And, you know, it, 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 uh, the clouds pass pretty quickly now. And, uh, you know, I, I find that over time your coping gets stronger. And truth be told, Cheryl, when I help others, it helps to heal my own heart. And I'm grateful that I get to be in a position that where I, I, I help others because truly that is what fuels my day. And that's what if I didn't have people that needed me or that, you know, I perceive need, need me, I'm not sure what I would do with myself. And so for people who are struggling, I often tell them, go volunteer, go work with the homeless. Go serve in the soup kitchen because when you reach out and help someone else who's struggling, it helps you to not feel quite so alone. And it also helps to put it in perspective. Everyone struggles with things. And my struggle is not the same as yours. But when I reach out and help others, it makes me feel better. And so that's one of the tools that I highly recommend for people who are struggling in their own bereavement. As as
2: soon as they can find, uh, you know, some energy for it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because I think there is that... um, uh, that early place where you just need to lay down for a while uh, you know that, a lot of the time.
3: Yeah, that early place is not a place for it. Uh, that early place is uh, again when you say the, the you know the the first few years. It's just holding your own, just holding your own. That's all you need to be doing. Just breathe, and yeah.
2: One thing I'm really aware of with you, uh, you know, I'm um, my wife died in 1995, so I'm almost 20 years uh down the road from that profound loss i've had other losses since but it's but that one changed me uh you know in a way that was very particular yes um and and it continues to evolve what what how, what how that shows itself in my life what i'm aware of with you is that really it's a relatively short time since your daughter d- died in the auto accident. It's a even shorter time since your husband had the stroke, and you have done a ton of things. I was I was a very slow <laughs> 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 compared to you, very slow in terms of um, uh, you know I, I was using it in my therapy work, but I wasn't doing the kinds of things in the world you're doing. And it seems as if you were almost driven towards that. Is that fair to say?
3: You know, it is. But there's a couple of of uh, gifts that were given to me very early, from the moment that the accident happened with Allie, is a I was surrounded with a ton of support. And I, in my work now in the bereavement field, I find many, many people who don't have that, and so I become driven to give them support because when I was blessed with an abundance of support, it did help me find my footing a little sooner, but I also had a, another gift that was given to me, and what happened was at the time of the accident with Allie, I owned a, a, a little formal shop, and it was, a, it was a, a secondhand formal shop, and it was something Allie and I started. Um, I'm a humanitarian at heart. And I've been volunteering since I was a, a teenager. And so to work with the less fortunate is always something that I've loved. And so by having it as a second hand, we served a whole different, uh, you know, shop. So
2: you, you mean someone had an, a formal event and they could
3: come purchase a, a used formal for a lot less? Is Am I hearing you right? You are you are correct, and, and most of it was prom girls and brides who uh-huh. could otherwise afford, uh, you know, some of the the uh, gowns out there. And you know, it clearly I was not driven by profit margins. I was driven by working from the heart, which is something I still am to this day. Uh, but so what happened was after the accident, I continued to operate our our little uh, shop, our little boutique, and that became a place where people came, and it became a healing spot for us. We'd sit on. The the floor sometimes even the the girls who came to shop and uh, you know they would play dress up while us moms would sit on the floor laugh cry and talk. Well, three months in, this one woman came into the, the the boutique with her sister, her twin sister, and the sister's daughter. They didn't know me, and I did not know them. And one of the sisters looked rather stricken, and the other one shared under her breath that uh, her sister's son it was 7 years that day that her 7-year-old son had been stabbed in the head by their by his father and mm. died and mm. so she was struggling and they had no idea who I was so I went right up to the bereaved mother wrapped my arms around her and held her and I could feel how raw she was, how broken she was, how fragile she was. And I just stood there, my heart burst open and I surrounded her with everything I had and something magical happened in me. And so that's why I call it a gift because when I was able to surround her with love in her darkest moment, it it did something to me. And I shared with her that I too was a brave mom um, and so we spoke a language uh, uh, that only we knew. and uh, it, But it struck me that I was doing better um, emotionally three months in than this woman who was seven years in. Mm. And so that really uh, was life-altering for me and uh, to know that what happens when you're given lots of support. So I'm driven uh, to find ways to reach those with little support or no support. That is my mission. And now I do many different endeavors, um, and I just trust that it will get to those who need it. And, uh, you know, but that that was pretty profound for me. So I, mm-hmm. I credit those things early in with uh, finding my footing faster. And, and you know, I, have, I will always have my moments where I need to go to what I call the whaling tent, Yes, and uh, you know those moments when you're on your knees. But I also, in between those times, I you know I I am able to embrace the joy in life. And when people see me, they don't they don't see a bereaved mother. And I'm often I often actually kind of find that interesting because what does a bereaved mother look like? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but you know because I do smile and I I do embrace life so much. Um, You know that some people regard me as different, but the truth is, I was surrounded by support and love. That makes a huge
2: difference, doesn't it? Huge, huge. So it's
3: my mission to reach those who don't have that.
2: You know, after our next break, I really want to uh, talk in depth about all the things you're doing. I I alluded to the fact that you do a lot of things, but I want to go into detail about that. Um, But in the meantime, you you made me think about something, which is that. you know, because I was in training as a therapist when my wife was sick and died, I've always called myself a grief counselor. So people say, what do you do? I'll say, I'm a grief counselor. And they'll say, oh, that must be so hard, you know. And I've always felt the opposite. Yeah. um, That there is some way, and I think that's what you're talking about. There's some way that when you, when that experience that you've had you know, there's no way that you could have offered the same thing to that woman without your experience.
3: Right. And I, there's
2: something uh, redeeming about, for me anyway, about if the, if these terrible things are going to happen, how do we use them? Indeed. Because there's really something redeeming about that. Okay, I can make use of this. It's of service to somebody. Absolutely. Um, I think that's something that people who haven't had a loss like that miss that that actually it's it's better to use it than to
3: um leave it sit in a way well said well said i agree very much so
2: let's go to our break and then let's talk about all your wonderful projects when we get back um, listeners, you can, once again, go to my website, weatheringreep.com, or my host page to find me in various ways. And to find Linda Sheldon Fell, go to l-y-n-d-a-f-e-l-l.com. Back after the break. <laughs>
0: Real Life Solutions. Voice America Health and Wellness. Mm-hmm.
2: Linda Sheldon fell as my guest today, and we've been talking about the loss of her daughter to an accident, an auto accident, and the disabling stroke her husband had within a few years of each other, and the ways uh, we've we've begun to talk about the way she's chosen to dedicate her life to working with grief after um, after these blows to her. Um, so I'd really like you to share with the list listeners, Linda. All the different projects that relate to um, those, you know, what you've made of those events—they they relate to those events, but they more relate to what you've made of them. Can you can you just give listeners a sense what you're up to?
3: I can, and you know, it's funny when people ask me what I do. I really struggle because I I I love creating endeavors and projects that are team oriented. I love working with people. And I never see things as my endeavor or my project. I love creating things and then bringing, uh, you know, all these wonderful people on board. I'm really inspired by people and working alongside them. And so when people say, what do you do? I think, oh, gosh, <laughs> how much time do you have?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I felt, you know, just, know, right? just exposing myself to what you do. That, um, And yet there's a kind of cohesion about it you know I, which which i which i do relate to myself i'm doing all these different projects right now but they're all um guided in me by the same force
3: exactly and it makes sense in my head <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I'm sure that you can you're a very good communicator. I'm sure you'll be able to make it make sense in ours too. You know,
3: one one of the things that I I've got some really big projects right now that are at the forefront and one of them earlier this year I put together the first National Grief and Hope Convention in Indianapolis and it it it, it was really powerful. It was small, but the power from it was because 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 of all the people that came together, the vendors, the speakers, the attendees, everyone played this vital role and it became this village. And so after the convention, I thought, what do we do with this energy? And the idea for a national coalition was born. And it stemmed from that village where we all came together. And so the, uh, I, I, I formed a national nonprofit, uh, the National Grief and Hope Coalition, and it's in its infancy. So, I mean, we're very, very early in. The The board is still uh, coming together with the, the mission statement. Uh, so we're very early in. Uh, but the whole idea is to foster a fellowship among all the different organizations in our nation that support the bereaved. And it's got other. You know, missions as well. So that's a big thing that's on my plate at the moment. And I I also formed uh, the book series, the Grief Diaries book series. And the Grief Diaries has been about for nearly two years now in, in radio form and a little bit of filming and this and that. And now we're doing a series of books and every single one of them is anthology style. And we've got over 70 participants in four different countries who are part of this project and amazing stories. And when I say amazing, I know that you don't think of amazing and bereaved in the same sentence. Oh, but I do. But yeah, <laughs> and, and so you get it. It's it's really a profound project. And when the books are launched in December. Uh, they, they take my breath away, and I, I hope others see them as the same way. Because you know, these are candid, raw stories of uh, in individual voices t- coming together for this this collection of losses and. You know, so so it's, that's a really cool project, and that is, uh, you know, all day long I'm working on that as well. And now with, uh, you know, doing the webinars, and I call them webinars because that's a platform we're using, but it's more intimate than that. Uh, we've mm-hmm. done it, started a couple of them. One is to teach people what to do or say to help the newly bereaved, because I'm asked all the time. Uncle Joe just lost his neighbor. What does he say? Um, you know, my coworker just lost their their spouse or their sibling. What do I do for them? We're asked that. You're asked that. Everyone in the bereavement field is asked that. And so I thought, yes. you know, let's that, and that becomes the elephant in the room. So let's teach people. So we had our first webinar teaching people what to do or say around the bereaved a week ago, and we're going to offer it every two weeks uh, through the fall season. And same for the the online support group for bereaved women, and then we're going to start up one for bereaved men as well. Mm-hmm. So those are the three big projects that are on my plate right now. And of course, uh, you know, like you, I've got some, some little ones as well. And, you know, they're all, to me, they're all part of the one all part of the same tapestry, just different... Threads in the same tapestry, if you think of it that way. And, you know, they're all relevant, they're all valid, they're all beautiful and valued. Um, they require different, you know, resources and dynamics, but they all play a really important role. And those are, you know, they become my fuel, my fuel for getting out of bed every morning and, you know, reaching around the world and touching, you know, c- collaborating with people. And I feel very humbled and very honored to, you know, I mean, being on, on your radio show, I feel very honored to to you know be chatting with you and sharing uh, you know the this this part of my life um, because it's important to me. And so when you you know when someone says, "Gosh, will you talk about it?" that that's really honorable. Mm-hmm. And so then you become humbled, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and so it's 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 you know the projects are all very cool, and gosh, the people that I'm meeting through them. I really are just, you know, last night, one of the, the women in the support group, I, I can't recall what state she was in, but a little more than a year ago, uh, her roommate committed suicide. So here she is and all this rawness, sharing her journey. And I just sit there think you know, my gosh, she's sharing this with us. How honorable is that? And uh, what yeah. a privilege to hear yeah. the
2: deepest that's right. Stories. Yeah. yeah I feel we should I put, feel we should put a, a word in about your workbook um which which I read. Um Grief Diaries Workbook is do I have the title right?
3: My Grief Diary. My
2: Grief Diary.
3: Yeah, and and truth be told, you know, I collaborate on most everything I do with other people because I love to collaborate. And, uh, you know, good energy only brings more good energy. So (laughs) that particular workbook, I collaborated with my dear friend, Angie Cartwright. And she's the founder of National Grief Awareness Day. And she heads up Grief the Unspoken on uh, Facebook, which is a a huge uh, website. And then uh, she's got 24 closed groups also, in addition to that, and each one focusing on a different kind of loss. And so she's got a huge social media following, and, and I call her the social media guru. And uh, so we collaborated and did that work. But we did it about a year ago, and the, then earlier this year, we – Went ahead and did it—a a, a official publication rather than a, a you know a, a print on demand kind of thing. Right. And uh, yeah, and so it's a it's a really cool workbook. It's one that's designed to take months, and so it's different than many of them. And well,
2: the other reason I thought it was important to mention is that uh, most of the um, for me the books that helped in new grief were people's stories. Uh, I just couldn't read through. An explanation of anything right uh, you know True. Um, I just Absolutely. and and I'm a professional you know, but it just it didn't fit for me at that moment later I could read those things but um to me that book is it just has a frame that people can kind of dip into um it's 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 not very demanding and it's you know it's more uh uh a loose rafter than a you know a fully built building and i and i thought that was particularly accessible to people who are just starting to you know discover what the grief territory is about
3: right right and and if you look at the back part of the book uh, it's divided into two sections, and the second section is actually um, that's that's the bulk of my contribution. Is uh, you know the the what do you do for yourself? How do you you know the self compassion, the TLC, baby steps to finding mm-hmm. your footing again, and that's where I'm real passionate is helping people um find their footing again and and so if you look at the the second you know part of that workbook those assignments are designed to do just that to help you hear the birds sing again and see the beauty in life again and of course it takes time and you know people get tired of hearing that but there's no other way to frame that no, and no. Uh, but a lot of it is also effort a true effort to It it takes a lot of effort at first to hear the birds sing again because they're going to sing whether you hear them or not. And so you have to make that conscious choice to hear the birds sing or, you know, the scrolls play or, or whatever um, you know, you're used to. And, you know, if you smell, uh, wonderful cookies baking to actually recognize that, oh gosh, that smells good. And because, you know, in the throes of grief, you are blind and deaf. Your world is suddenly without color. It's, I, I, you know, it's robbed of technicolor, right? and you 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 know someone's baking cookies and you can smell them but not really smell them or hear the birds singing but you're not it's not registering in your brain and so when you practice the exercises put together in the in the second part of that book that helps you kind of make reentry back into your surroundings and i have to say that the the hearing the birds sing was something i began very early on in my own grief it took great effort more effort than i had but i kept practicing it and now Six years in, I hear the birds sing without any effort at all, and I feel so grateful, so grateful.
2: Yeah. Um, you're, you're making me think about, uh, you know, I'm doing a conference in November. Listeners, if you're interested, email me and I'll let you know about it. It's called The Art of Saying Goodbye, and where all the people that are presenting in it ha- used art in some way to heal. Well, in a way, you're talking about that, you know, noticing beauty, Yes,: For me, it was music. for uh, another person who's working with me, it was writing, you know, our various um, arts that compelled us during healing, um, but they all have to do with noticing, with yes. being in the moment, don't they?
3: Recognizing, recognizing, recognizing. Your, exactly five your senses or even one of your senses. Yes. It it does, it starts out that baby steps, baby steps. So recognizing one of your senses. And if you practice that every day you know, just just one noticing one thing. It might be a scent, like you know, a, a scented candle or cookies. Which, of course, clearly I love cookies because I keep bringing it up. Bringing it up, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or you know, hearing the birds sing or the the music or something. Um, slowly, with practice, those fibers in your body will become alive once again, and that is how you ultimately you you each step builds upon itself and. Eventually, the joy comes back in, but it takes a lot of effort because you don't you have a hard time believing that joy is going to come back in and that. And people- maybe
2: it's a little bit of an insult at first.
3: Yes, true. Very true. Uh, how
2: can the world be beautiful when my loved one is not in it? Well said. Um, but I, I do think that can um, metamorphose into actually a lot of appreciation for the mystery of the world. I mean, don't we live in a
3: mystery? We do, and that's a beauty. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And, you know, people will say, how can, the, how can people continue about their day when my loved one is, is gone? You know, well, how, the, the, how does the world still turn? And to me, I love Mother Nature, so that's why I use it as a reference and an analogy quite often. But it's true, you know, the, the world will continue to turn despite our loss because loss is a part of life since the very beginning. and Part of the turning? It, it, it's, it is part of the turning, and, uh, you know, so what do we do with that? And, you know, so when you, when you take time out to acknowledge one of the five senses, each and every day, over time with practice, it takes less effort, and the beauty comes back in. And that's an important concept to hold on to because it's hard to believe in the beginning, but it is true, and it's there, and it will come. It just takes time, and, and it, the more you practice it, the sooner it will come.
2: Well, there's a third thing that, to me, seems like it helped you a tremendous amount, which is having a giving nature to start out with. Uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking of that um, that uh, thing you did on Ali's birthday of giving other people things and the way in which that brought some gifts back to you because people appreciated it so much that does help don't you think oh that
3: pay it it forward absolutely yeah Uh, that that pay it forward and you know that's something that I still love to practice all the time that pay it forward is such a cool concept Mm -hmm. the power of one one smile can change someone's day Uh, you know you never know when you're in the grocery store checkout line, if you smile at a stranger, you never know how it's going to impact their day. So, you know, whether you call it pay it forward or the power of one moment, uh, you know, you never know what impact you're going to have on someone else. And that's a beautiful thing.
2: And that's a beautiful place to end our conversation. Thank you. I've enjoyed it so much, Linda. I as well. Thanks so much. (laughs) Absolutely. And listeners, you can find Linda Sheldon Fell at... L-Y-N-D-A-F-E-L-L dot com. Next week, I'm welcoming the musical group Mirabai Seba. The two artists who make up the group blend their unique backgrounds and experiences and their love to create meditative and harmonic pieces designed to take the listener deeper into their own spirits. And their latest music was strongly influenced by a loss close to them, so they've been incorporating grief into, into their musical offering. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.